Today I'm going to talk about the famous Goldman Sachs resignation letter that appeared in the New York Times last night. In fact, I saw it last night before I signed off for the night. I decided to take an early evening because I'm still suffering from my cold. But this morning a lot of my um, um, candidates and clients and also colleagues forwarded me copies of this email telling me, hey Michael, this is exactly what you say, you know, this issue about how culture and values drives the firm. And the point that we're trying to make is that what Greg Smith did was good and I'm actually going to take a counter view and I'm going to say what Greg did Greg Smith did was terrible it shows exactly the kind of values that you should not exhibit when you're at a consulting firm and let me tell you why before I get into the mechanics of why his email was wrong I'm also going to point at a couple of things that are wrong about his email in general right but I want you to listen to the end of the email because that is a crux but I do want to talk about certain mechanics in his email that I just don't agree with firstly Greg Smith's designation of executive director and head of the firm's United States equity derivatives business in Europe Middle East and Africa I mean I check that I mean you know people know that when you send us material we always fact check it we always fact check it and I couldn't find anyone of that title as far as I know that title doesn't even exist there is no executive director um, for that title in the United States in fact someone else also pointed that out which I copied as a comment whereby they say that um, uh, he's actually a vice president which is a very very low title relatively junior you know basically two years out of your MBA and you become a vice president right one level after associate and he's the only employee in the derivatives business that he has I'm not sure about that but I did call to people that worked at Goldman Sachs just to fact check some of the the points made here now I don't know if he was an executive director or not but I'm gonna guess no I'm gonna guess that he was not an executive director of the firm and I'm gonna guess that he wasn't an important member of the firm. I'm also going to allude, just from speaking to people, that he was not a senior member of the firm. I'm going to go even further to try to figure out why the New York Times did not fact-check this article before it was published. At the very least, you would have verified the title of someone. I mean, I couldn't find this guy's resume anywhere. Now, some people don't like their resumes out there, and that's okay with it, right? I don't have a problem with that because I know some people at BCG and McKinsey, where it's almost, imp in fact, the most one of the most fastest promoted people at BCG who made principal and then went to McKinsey. You can't get anything on him on the internet, so I'm okay with that. But if I call the firm and ask for details, they should at least be able to verify a position for me. They may be able to say they won't be able to comment on it, but they should be able to verify the position for me. So I'm a little bit surprised that. Um, that wasn't done by the New York Times. I'm also a little bit surprised that, you know, I'm assuming this guy hasn't uh, misled on his credentials and, you know, um, his role in the actual firm. But, uh, you know, to put out an email like this and not expect to have everything unearthed about you, a little bit surprising. But I want to get to the tone of the email. I mean, I, I'm okay with everything that appears up front uh, in terms of the, the logic of the, um, of the uh, letter, but... The last two paragraphs don't make a whole lot of sense to me, right? I mean, he talks about his uh, Stanford Rhodes Scholar background, um, the Jewish Olympics. Oh, nice, but what is the point about that? I mean, he's he. It didn't fit in. It's it's almost as if you know he's trying to justify what he had done, you know, that he had worked hard his entire life, which is you know he's telling us he's worked hard. As, as as far as I know, you know maybe he could have cheated at the Olympics. Maybe he could have had someone else write his you know um, um, Stanford application. Is the point is, it does something didn't jibe here.
So uh, the email structurally, while it, a lot of people are saying this is exactly what we need, I'm thinking there's a little bit more behind this email than people make it out to be. But now let's let's bring it back to to management consulting and the values I always speak about. Greg Smith does not show the values he asks of Goldman Sachs. That's simple. If if I saw something wrong in one of the firms I had worked in, I would never write an email like this. And do you know why I would never write an email like this? Because think of the message it gives to all the people I worked with. Imagine all the people that I worked with and trained in my consulting career. And I'm going to write an email about them. Imagine how they're going to be vilified. Imagine those young analysts and those senior consultants, those associates, those um, case leaders. In fact, some of the young partners I trained, they're going to have to get in meet clients and have to deal with this. Why would I want to put them through this? He, by his own admission, he says some of these people were outstanding. Some of these people were different. So why would he do this to them? To me, this is selfish, to be honest. It is categorically against the values he says he has and Goldman Sachs doesn't have. In fact, by putting out this email, he, he indicates that he has the lack of values that Goldman Sachs supposedly has. So that's the first thing. He should never have done this. It is not right. There's no way to condone what he did. If, if he really was so fed up at Goldman Sachs, if he really wanted to change things, he should have made time to speak to the leadership. I don't care if the leadership doesn't want to listen to him, but you don't do this. You do not hurt the very people you are meant to be protecting. That is not the culture. The, the, the system is you protect each other right? If he felt things were so wrong, he should have done more. He should have stepped up. He should have tried to change the organization, but trying to kill the organization because it's not good enough. I don't understand that. That's like that's like a mother killing her daughter because she doesn't like the way her daughter dresses. She's trying to save her daughter. I mean, give me a break. I've read some of these stories about, you know, Texan mothers killing their daughters who are cheerleaders and so on. But the point is, and I've actually read some of those transcripts, but the point is, that's exactly what he's doing. He's hurting the firm to protect it. I don't understand that. You should never do that. Especially if he was an executive director. He's senior management. Not very senior, but he's relatively senior, right? The other one is we don't know his motives, right? Sure, he writes a good prose, but as I point out in the um, article, you know what? Hollywood has a bunch of guys you would never bring home to meet your mother that write movies about, you know, love and so on. The point is, you can write a good story. It doesn't mean you live by those values. The other thing I wanted to understand is, how do we know this is not one of the guys who are being forced to be fired because he wasn't performing and this was the way he was going to grind his axe? I mean, the point is, we don't know that. So I I take great offense to people who just read an article and I mean and just don't think about what lies behind this. I mean, for crying out loud, we're meant to be management consultants. We don't take things at face value. We look at the assumptions. The first assumption is we don't know his motive. The second one is we know the media will spin this as long as they can. I mean, if it was up to the media, the JFK assassination would still be on the front page. But the only reason they can't do that is because if they did it, no one will buy newspapers. So it's up to the media. They will try to put this as much as they can onto the front page because they know with the election year coming up, the so-called 1% drives coverage. So again, when the media puts things up, be critical, people. I mean, I don't expect you to to know all the numbers, but I at least expect you to understand the motives that lie behind this. And then I am going to come back to this point about ethics and values and so on. I can think of a hundred things this guy could have done to have changed Goldman Sachs if he really believed in the firm. For one, if he wasn't being fired, I would have stayed. Right? I don't care what anyone tells me, but if I don't believe in something and I'm quitting, then I'm part of the problem. Now, a lot of people are going to attack me. 
on this. I know that. You know, some people are going to say, hey, you know what, I tried to change the organization. They didn't listen to me and I had to go. I, I actually have a different view, but I believe that if you really believe you're part of the organization, if you really see a long-term future for yourself, sure, you may not be able to turn the organization immediately. You may be too junior to do it. You may not have the political standing to fight a battle with leadership immediately, but you should stay and try to execute whatever changes you can. And as you progress higher and higher in the organization, you'll then implement the changes that you need to see. And history is littered with examples of that. Anne Mulcahy, Sam, uh, Sam Parmesano, uh, you know, IBM, Xerox, they weren't happy with where they saw the organization going when they were younger in the organization. They didn't have the wherewithal and political clout to change it, but they stayed in and they changed it. Hell, no one agreed with what Rajat Gupta was doing when he was the managing partner. Uh, they couldn't change him. It was a partnership. It was a vote. Right? If you cannot change an organization, that means you haven't convinced people of what you're doing is the right thing to do. And maybe you should ask yourself this. I mean, why can you not ch convince people to change? Are you not the world's best communicator? But the point is you cannot hurt the organization by doing these things. It is categorically wrong. I cannot justify it. There's no way to justify this. I mean, this guy must have really hated Goldman Sachs. He must have really wanted to hurt Goldman Sachs to do this. I mean, when, when I think about some of the things I've seen McKinsey do, BCG do, and so on, and Roland Berger, for example, and I want to publish articles that hurt the firm. And trust me, we come across things that we think could really you know, damage the firm, but we always think to ourselves, is this going to hurt the firm, or is it a better way to handle this? And in some cases, we've actually you know, approached the firm and said, look, this was raised by someone, and we didn't mention the name, but we think you need to deal with this. Sometimes we publish things because we think, you know, this is too ridiculous and they need to fix it. But they're not what we call black swan events that could take down a firm. And this is not going to take down Goldman Sachs. I mean, Goldman Sachs has something like this every six years. So all these people saying, wow, this is, it has never been this bad by, you know, uh, with regards to what's happening at Goldman Sachs. Well, you haven't been around long enough. This happens quite regularly. People publish letters and so on. Maybe not letters, but there will be some big scandal that supposedly is going to change Wall Street. Nothing will change. It will all be the way it was. But coming back to, to Greg Smith, he should never handled it this way. I can't imagine him looking in the eyes of people he works on. I mean, he makes that point somewhere. He, he, he looks in the eyes of students. But what about his employees? What are people he've, he's mentored? What, what does he tell them? You know, I had to hurt the firm's profitability to make you learn what you are doing wrong. I, I cannot reconcile the, the operational side of this. Sure, maybe it's spur of him, maybe he was drunk, maybe he went to scores in, in New York or whatever it is, and, you know, someone helped him write this um, letter, although judging by the, um, the prose and the way it is written, is either edited by himself or a New York Times editor. But the point is, how does this help the culture of the organization? How does what he's done demonstrate the culture and values that he purports to have and that he indicates Goldman Sachs does not have. I don't see it. I can't imagine anyone doing this. I can't imagine someone in my organization when I was a management consultant, even I was a senior partner doing this. In fact, uh, to be fair, three partners did something relatively similar. They didn't make it a, you know issue internationally, but they did, I feel, went out of line and made an internal issue slightly public. And I remember to myself, I was very young that day, and I remember a partner coming to me and telling me, hey, you know what, you should be really proud of what the senior partner did. And he really stuck up to his guns. And I actually pointed out to him and said, look, I actually disagree with you. As far as I'm concerned, a senior partner cannot turn his back on the firm. I don't care what supposedly happened. If you're a senior partner, you, you suck it up and you deal with it. 
This is a family. A partnership is a family at the end of the day. It is not a public company. Goldman Sachs is public. Maybe you could, in some weird world, justify that he wanted to reach out to shareholders to enforce change on the board. But in a partnership, you never do this. There are no external shareholders. Everything you have to say to the people that count are in the firm. They are the partners. You say it there. And I remember this very clearly. And I think that partner was a little bit surprised at my take on this because the guy who did this was actually my mentor. The senior partner was my mentor who I thought did something that was totally wrong. He didn't do something as bad as this guy, but the point is ethics is ethics. You don't, you know, if you steal a chocolate bar from a corner cafe, you're still a criminal. You don't have to steal, you know, $6 billion like Bernie Madoff to be a criminal. You steal a chocolate bar from a corner cafe, you're a criminal. You cross the line once, you're a criminal right? And that's what I felt with the senior partner. He's not a criminal, but I felt he had crossed the ethical line. As far as I'm concerned, if he's going to turn your back on the firm, I mean, this is a partnership. You, you're not allowed to do that, you know? Sure, you may disagree with some of the partners, but that is the value of a democracy, right? Everyone has a single vote. If the other partners don't agree with you, then you haven't spent enough time to convince them of your thoughts, and you've got to leave. And, and to me, it hurts me when people say that this is an example of great values. This is an example of terrible values. The guy that did this, I hope, will be sued by Goldman Sachs because this is not the way you handle it. Link to this, right? An example of values. I mean, I, people ask me, you know, Michael, you know, how do you see values? And I always tell them the story of one of my projects. I can't remember if it was the first or second or third. You know, memories get jogged in my age. But the point is, I remember very clearly I was building this pharmaceutical model, right? It was a it was a pharmaceutical I'm not sure if it was a pharmaceutical or financial model. I think it was a leasing model in pharmaceuticals. It was definitely a leasing model, that much I remember. And you know, we were on this project and we had a very young partner that I was reporting to, one of the youngest partners in the firm, but just an outstanding guy, a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, supposedly like this Rhodes Scholar, but an outstanding individual, right? Phenomenal. Nice guy. I actually liked him. You know, we used to hang out a lot. Um, we, he was my informal mentor. I mean, we, we really got along well. He put me underneath his wing. He really developed me in, in, in consulting. And the project was not going well. He put me onto a very difficult project. I thought I was not ready for the project, but he said, look, I think you can do this. You've done very well. So this is a bit of a stretch for you, but I think you can handle this. And I went on to the project. And to be honest, I really, really struggled. You know, leasing, as I mentioned to people, finance is not my background. You know, I'm a, I'm a science guy. Um, and I obviously have some business background, but I'm purely a science guy. So I'm a logical thinker, but, you know, sometimes the pressure is quite intense, you know. So we were on this project and I really struggled to build a model and I remember struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling. Eventually, despite me working all hours of the day and literally I was working there all hours of the day. I'm not kidding. I'd come in on a Wednesday night and leave on Friday morning when the firm, when the office was having its you know, internal meeting and I'd actually go up to the senior partner and say, you know what, I'm a little bit tired because I've been in the office since Wednesday morning. Is it okay if I miss this meeting? And they'd say, yeah, sure, fine. The point is I worked really hard. And I screwed up. I screwed up and it was my fault. I screwed up because I didn't ask for help. Well, I did ask for help, but not enough help. You know, I really didn't take it seriously. I didn't really understand the magnitude of what you were doing. You know, it's like when people build financial models, they always tell me, you know, how do I know what to do? And it's the same situation here. Because I don't know what the end goal looks like. I don't know if I'm 20% there, 30% there, 40% there. And I built, income, I built the income statement, cash flow statement. I'm so proud of myself. I built the activity model. I modeled the uh, market analysis beautifully. And I forgot to build the balance sheet. I know 
you can you know you could think well, how can you forget to build a balance sheet but i forgot to build a balance sheet and i remember the client was t the senior partner who was then traveling in paris at the time said you know where's the balance sheet i said i haven't built the balance sheet and he said that you know what we need that i mean either we got to tell the client we either can't do the work or you know or you got to build it and i said okay fine i'll build it but the point is i couldn't do it on time and the project was not a success. You know, the firm suffered because of that project. I mean, we didn't lose a lot of money, but the point is you lose $1, it's nothing. We lost face in the eyes of the client. To me, that's the greatest pain. We hurt the firm, you know. Forget about my salary, forget about the bonus. We don't care about that. We hurt the firm. We don't want the client to give McKinsey the work, you know, by, by telling everyone that this firm couldn't do the work. You know, BCG couldn't do it, Roland Berger do, couldn't do it, whatever it is. So it was a very, very disappointing time for me. And, you know, I expected to be fired. I expected all kinds of bad things to happen to me. But let me tell you an example of values and how you demonstrate values. I had my performance review with the um, with the partner and he told me, look, you know, Michael, I'm really disappointed in you. I thought you would do more. Um, and I know that you pride yourself, you know, you've got this amazing background in the sciences and you pride yourself on your intellect. But I must tell you something that I personally think you are one of the smartest people we've had in this firm ever. I mean, he could have been exaggerating. I don't know. Maybe the smartest person he saw. You know, maybe a small pool. But the point is, he said it. Which helped me a little bit. But then he put the zing in there. But I think that, you know, you have raised some concerns about your intellectual capabilities through this project. And I, and I don't have any doubt you'll overcome it. But I think you must know that the partners are concerned about whether you can handle the pace in the firm. But I'm not so worried about that. Because I think you learned it. And I think you just took your eye off the ball. But I am worried that you let me down personally. Um, I'm worried that you let the firm down. And for, you know, forget about the model, forget about the client, we can deal with that. But I'm most concerned that you didn't understand the ramifications on the firm, the name of the firm. And, you know, that speech alone should show you the value system. But what came next, I'll never forget it. So performance reviews, well, now I was too junior at this point to attend a performance review. But I had a couple of allies in the um, in the uh, in a case leader group who were going to be, you know, in the performance reviews. In that particular case, they were called in to give feedback on my performance. And one one particular case leader came to me and said, you know what, Michael, there are a couple of people here, it's the way it is, who don't like you because of the way you operate, and they're going to let you have it, you know. Um, so you must be aware of this. And I was really worried. I was concerned. You know, people don't tell you about these things when you join consulting firms. There are politics here, you know. If you rub off some people the wrong way, they think you're arrogant and brash, they're going to let you have it in performance reviews. But I never knew what really happened after that performance review because my mentor, my official mentor, the one who gives me feedback on performance reviews, all he came back is he came back and said, look, you know what, the, the partners think that you tried very hard, but you really have to prove you can build these more complex financial models. So the next project, we're going to put you onto that. And I think you can appreciate the fact that in terms of your progression, you haven't progressed much in the last six months because of this project. You haven't been able to demonstrate it. So, you know, all you've got to do is prove that you can move forward. So I... And you know what? I thought that my mentor was just—he was just hiding the truth. But the, the the case leader who then gave me this feedback about people having knives out for me, you know, exaggerated maybe—I don't know—came back to me and said, "You know, Michael, you, I sat in your performance review, and let me tell you something: the partner didn't even bring you up." The feedback he gave to the partners on this particular incident, and it was an incident. You know, a client didn't get the work they wanted. He said that, "Look, it's my fault. I mismanaged the project." Um, and I think that we should have had more people on this project because we really put someone, um, we had really put a very junior person in a very tough situation while I was traveling without enough support. So I think that we should have handled this before. And I actually thought to myself, 
here's a guy who could have you know thrown me under the bus which is what most people would have done let me be honest most people have done it even even people in the top consulting firms they would have they would have put the blame and here's a guy who did not let me take the fall for it and i went up to him and i said you know i heard this happened you know but why didn't you say that I didn't deliver it well? And he said, actually, that's, it's true. You didn't deliver it well, but I am accountable to the client and the senior partners, not you. You are accountable to me, so I'm going to have to work with you and make sure that you know you can rise to the occasion. But the client doesn't care why we failed. The client just cares that we failed. And as far as they're concerned, I failed. And that's it. I'm not going to make excuses. I failed because I couldn't see you were struggling. I failed because I was traveling too much. And I think that you know, in some cases, you failed, but we've got to fix it. You know, and uh, let me tell you something. People always say, you know, how you know we have values and so on, but let me tell you right now, values have a cost. And I can tell you right now that it was a junior partner, you know, principal. That principal's bonus that year was not two hundred thousand dollars. He would have been lucky if he had forty thousand dollars. It is because he defended me. And. When people say we have values with a very ethical organization, I say, yeah, sure. If you can give me five incidences where you've demonstrated your values and lost revenue or hurt your profitability, then you have values. But until you show me that, those values are purely platitudes that you put up that make everyone sound nice about the work they do, but you don't have values. And that is what values is to me. It's where you stand up and do the right thing is when it hurts you. And I will always remember this partner, sorry, principal, I'm using the words interchangeably, but this principal for what he did. I never forgot values. Uh, you, c you know, people talk about values, it's this ephemeral concept, but until you see it demonstrated in this tangible, concrete example, you don't understand what it means. And that's what values means, you know. You live by the values of the firm. You do not point fingers. You take the fall for where it counts. You understand your responsibility. And I never forget this. When I got promoted through the ranks, if my people made a mistake, I would obviously go after them and I would make them, I would punish them, you know, in inverted commas. I'm not going to, you know, flog them, but they need to understand the consequences of what they've done. They are going to be punished for it, but I'm not going to stand up there to the leadership and say, look, what, you know what, the reason we suffered is because this person failed. You know, my job as the engagement, when I was a case leader and then when I was a principal, is to know the capabilities of my team. And if they cannot deliver, then it's my job to step in and help them. And I'll never, ever forget this. This, to me, is the example of how you demonstrate values. You don't write an article in the New York Times and throw the good and the supposedly bad part of the organization under the bus. You never do that. You know, I've seen so many examples of people justifying the actions. I've seen it before. I remember I was actually in consulting when the um, old guard of Morgan Stanley stood up against Philip Purcell. And they could have said whatever they wanted to get rid of Philip Purcell. But the point is they dragged the firm through the mud. There were other ways to do this. They basically, basically what this guy is saying, look, I'm not good enough to convince people in the organization that they need to change. So I'm going to protect the clients and put this damaging story out, which has not even been fact-checked, actually. And I'm pretty sure in time we'll see that it hasn't been fact-checked. When you think of values, it's not about glory. People who live by values don't go out in a blazing rocket ship. They, you don't even hear about them until much later when they become part of folklore. People don't talk about Marvin Bauer because he stood up and wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. They talk about Marvin Bauer because he went to the offices of, the, of, of, the, of um, Howard Hughes and he told Howard Hughes, look, we're not going to do this project for you because we don't think it's right. He didn't go out and get false um, you know, gratification in newspapers. And over time, the stories went, you know, 
became myth not because Harvard Hughes made it, not because Marvin Bauer made it myth, but because people who interacted with him made it myth. And let me tell you something, that is values. And I, I actually don't think this guy was demonstrating values. I hate it. I think he did a terrible thing personally. I hope that no one takes the wrong lessons out of this. And I hope you remember the example that I gave you. That is how you demonstrate values. You know, that, that, that one incident has remained blazed in my head forever. Right? And I mean, if you read Marvin Bauer's book, he tells you where he learned from his value system from. Not from McKinsey, actually. He learned it when he was a um, um, lawyer in the firm he worked at before he joined McKinsey. All of his principles on, on value come from the law industry. And he tells you there was an incident whereby when the firm was struggling, the senior partner in the law firm chose not to do work in a certain place because it was the wrong kind of work. And he said that, you know, yeah, these guys were struggling to make ends meet, but the partner was not willing to take easy money. Actions speak louder than words. The values cost the firm money. And to me, that's values. So, you know, when you're thinking about values, forget about these glory-seeking methodologies and glory-seeking techniques. This is not values. This is someone who's trying to justify something that he's done or wants to do or should have happened to him. I don't know. But the point is that true values, true application or true living of your values doesn't happen on the front page of the New York Times. It happens every single day in the things you do. And you know it when you see it and it becomes folklore because you've seen it. You know, I mean, people always talk about the story of John Mack from Morgan Stanley about how I mean, there are different versions of the story, but pretty much someone came to deliver either Chinese food or pizza at Morgan Stanley. And John Mack, who was the CEO of Morgan Stanley at one point, walked past this uh, delivery guy. And about 30 minutes later, an hour later, he came past again and he asked the you know, delivery guy, you know what, why are you still here? And the delivery guy says, no, I've been waiting for a long time for someone to you know, pick up the food. And John Mack calls up the guy and says, you know, you don't ever wait someone, you don't ever make someone wait this long. It's disrespectful. And that is an example of values, you know. John Mack could have very easily have told the guy, could have very easily have asked the trader, you know what, were you working in a big trade that's going to cost us $10 million? The guy could have said yes. Oh, good, you did the right thing. You saved us money. But that's not values. You need to treat people with respect. And I think this is disrespectful. It is disrespectful to the people at Goldman Sachs who do the right things. I, you know what? There's too much negative vibe about the banking sector. You know, we make it sound like they're this horrible entity that is sucking out the lifeblood of humanity, and that is incorrect. We need them. They make money. Yeah, sure, they break the rules, but you know what? Everyone breaks the rules. Procter & Gamble is doing it. Sure, they may sue me for putting this in a podcast, but they've broken the rules. They've paid fines. All these organizations that are supposedly you know, fighting the good cause against you know, corporate finance firms, they're also breaking the rules. The point is, you cannot belittle the efforts of thousands of well-meaning employees because of a few people who break the rules. If everyone at Goldman Sachs were breaking the rules, then, well, that's a different story, but I'm sure the firm would be underneath by now. The point is, it's not. There are always the vanguard of the culture who are doing the right things. And I think this email is just so wrong in so many ways that... If I ever see someone doing this in management consulting, I'll make sure I personally hunt them down and, you know, take apart the argument. You never do this. If you really care about the people you work with, if you really care about the organization and the culture of management consulting and you really want to save it, then you'll do what it takes to save it. You wouldn't cop out by putting out this article, generating a whole lot of, you know, vacuous publicity, a vacuous publicity and riding out on a horse. This is wrong. This is not values. This is the opposite of values. Whenever you're going to think about values, think about that 
principal who defended me when I should have been thrown underneath the bus. And because of his actions, I became a much better consultant. And I really understood the meaning of values. And maybe that's what it takes. Maybe you have to screw up and someone has to you know, step in and show you the right way to do things. But that's okay, as long as you learn from it. And frankly, I don't think Greg Smith has ever learned the meaning of values, ever really understood it. I think he's, he knows all the right things to say. But I think if we ever interviewed Greg Smith and asked him to give me a concrete example of where he has demonstrated values, or where he's, then I think we would find that missing. All he's done is he's, he's spoken in generalities of what is wrong about Goldman Sachs, but nothing that is right. And I'm sure there's a lot of things right. He's also spoke, not spoken nothing about things he's done right. And I think there's something wrong there. This is a bad example of how you live values. Marvin Bauer would not be happy about this because you are hurting your family when you do this. And you never hurt your family. You defend your family. You never obviously commit a crime to defend your family, but you defend them to the best of your abilities. Basically, it's this. When your back's against the wall, when you're at war, you need to rely on your partners. And I'm not saying your partner goes and lies for you and commits you know, uh, fraud and commits a crime. No. But you fight a clean fight, but you know you rely on your partners. And to me, this is wrong. This is someone stepping out and basically telling the enemy to attack. And that is wrong. There's no excuse. You fight a clean fight, but you fight with your partners. And you hand over when things are good. Then you say, okay, you know, you'd have done this better, you should have done this better, but you don't, you don't do this. This is an ugly fight as far as I'm concerned. Bad value system. Greg Smith does not demonstrate the values he claims to have. Hopefully people will comment on this. I'm sure there'll be lots of comments on this one. But I'd welcome your comments.